Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule with no, without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, thank you very much, Phil, for reading. Uh, good morning, everyone. Do keep Psalm 32 open in front of you so you can follow along with what God is saying in his word. And as we start, let's pray to our Father God together. Uh, awesome Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, would the eternal King lead his people into praise? Would your word and grace lead us into eternal thankfulness? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It really is a deep, joyful privilege to be a Christian. Um, I myself may not be the supreme example of over-expressive joy. Uh, please don't let my face get in the way of seeing that delight uh, that I have, and indeed all Christians have, in knowing Jesus. To enjoy the release of having sins forgiven, to be saved from judgment, and to enjoy a right and good and joyful relationship with the Lord God. Uh, in my previous churches where I used to work, there was a great old saint who was in my home group. Uh, she was always full of joy, uh, even when Annette got the news that she was losing her eyesight due to macular degeneration. I can still remember her happiness, her testimony. She said something along the lines of, I really do love the Lord Jesus for all that he has done for me. Happiness in the Lord and the joy of his forgiveness is where we find ourselves this morning in Psalm 32, this masculine of David. And I've pretty much seen it as a testimony of David, Israel's Old Testament king, as he encourages his people to see that the Lord has done for him, what the Lord has done for him, and also for them. 
the early church saw this psalm as one of the penitential psalms, a psalm that shows the need for confession of sin, saying sorry to God. And all the other penitential psalms, they're all from the perspective of still awaiting God's forgiveness. Uh, Psalm 6, David wrote these words, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Uh, Likewise, in Psalm 51, he says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. But Psalm 32 this morning, it offers, it presents a unique perspective, an after-the-fact view, focusing on the release that David felt after he finally confessed his sins and was forgiven. It is the sigh of relief at the end of a long, stressful day when you collapse onto the sofa. And so David begins to celebrate as a forgiven sinner, Verses 1 and 2, blessed joy for the forgiven sinner. Follow along verse 1 and 2 with me. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Uh, Blessed here means fortunate. It means satisfied. It means exuberant, overflowing joy. This specific word hasn't been used in the Psalms since Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 and 2 it has many overtones within Psalm 32. Blessed here means that true, everlasting happiness, eternal joy. Now, I don't want us to get the impression this morning that the Christian life is nothing but joy, because it isn't. Nobody's life is going to be straightforward. Christians don't always walk around with a smile on their face. And if they do, there is something seriously abnormal about them. Now, the blessed of verse 1 is much more than just smiles and giggles. David is sharing deep, contented joy. Joy that isn't dependent on me and my moods. And it doesn't come from where we and the world look for satisfaction. There is no mention of food and friends, no mention of homes and holidays. A note to self, it's not found in month-long football tournaments coming up or Lions Tours or Wimbledon. No, everlasting happiness comes from an everlasting God and from his forgiveness that he offers to all sinners. Verse 1, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Transgression speaks of rebellion. From King David to the least of the people, God's people have been struggling and continue to struggle with an ongoing rebellion against the Lord God. But joyfully, God's people have had their transgression forgiven. It is a joy. But David also says, Blessed is the one whose sin is covered. Again, it's another great image. The Lord God covering up sin not swept under the carpet like when I try to you know, clean the house. It's not like our son, Caleb, who thinks that by sitting on the armchair with a blanket over the top of him that nobody can see him. It's a tiny bit obvious he's there, this big moving lump 
moving around underneath the blanket, non-stop giggling, that you can't see me. Now, David, is, his sin is fully covered. It's never to be seen again. And so David jubilantly goes on, verse 2, blessed, happy is the man against whom the Lord count, who counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The Lord counts no iniquity. It's one of those small and yet big Bible sentences. It's, it was used way back at the start of God's story in Genesis 15. The Lord God brought Abraham outside and said, look towards the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Understanding phrases like the Lord counts no iniquity is highly significant to understanding the entire narrative of the Lord God, of his promises and his plans to his happy people. See, Abraham's trust, and here in Psalm 32, David's faith in the Lord God becomes the basis upon which God views them as righteous. A joyful, right, personal relationship with God based on faith and faith alone. And David also includes, blessed, happy is the man in whose spirit there is no deceit. See how a clean slate is on offer to all sinful, rebellious, deceitful people? That is how David identified himself as just that, that without God, David and therefore all of God's people would be wicked, full of deceit, covered in sin. It would be at the top of his personal statement, right there in his CV, David says, look how bad I am. Sin completed it, mate. But David says that God's Joyful people, they're joyful because the Lord has forgiven them. He counts no iniquity. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul picks up on these first two verses of Psalm 32 in Romans chapter 4 to explain the heart of the gospel of Jesus. How every human being deserves condemnation for sin, for ungodliness, for deceitfulness, for wickedness. And yet here is the amazing news of what King Jesus has done. We pick up what the apostle says in Romans chapter 4 verse 5. We heard them at the start as well. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of blessing to the one of whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. See, Paul picks up these opening words of Psalm 32 to show that because of Christ Jesus, because of his gracious sacrificial death on the cross, all believers are righteous through faith in Christ. Do we see how David's joyful words of verse 1 and 2 
are made truly, everlastingly delightful when we see what God's king has done for God's people. See, at the cross of Christ, there is forgiveness for our treason. At the cross of Christ, sin is covered, never to be seen again. A clean slate is on offer to all sinners. Faith in Christ meant that David's failings, his rebellion, his stupid mistakes, his selfish mistakes, God no longer counts them against the believer. There is joyful relief from God's wrath for sin, and it's on offer to all. Everlasting happiness comes from trusting God's eternal king. But how did David get there, and how can you and I get in on this? Well, verses 3 to 7. Blessed joy for sinners who confess. Have a look down at verse 3. For when I kept silence, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. See, David takes us back. Uh, Verse 3 follows on, and he recounts his wasted condition when he had not yet confessed his sins, when he'd not enjoyed forgiveness before happiness. David was filled with a deep unrest within him, groaning all day long. Now, maybe David had been trying to ignore God, um, like a child refusing to come in from the garden, uh, a teenager staying out past their curfew to try the latest chunder chalice at PMP. Now, David was holding on to his sin and his rebellion, enjoying it even, following him, fooling himself, sorry, that he was in the right. Maybe he was just tempted to think that it wasn't really a sin trying to cover it up, hide it away. And at times I can look back on my own life and I can totally see myself in that position because it is so very easy to hold on to sin, to store up pride and anger and jealousy and lust and evil thoughts, to fool myself that I'm okay and that I don't need to say sorry. And yet David couldn't fool God. And neither can we. The Lord was working in David's life. He wouldn't let David continue in sin and disobedience. Have a look at verse 4. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So the Lord sapped the energy of David with his weighty hand. It's like two brothers wrestling where the big brother simply sits on his younger sibling until they acknowledge who's the heavyweight champion of the world. That's just a small insight into the Chalkland household for you. Uh, Or perhaps the younger, cooler members of our congregation. Remember the scene in Avengers Assemble uh, where the Hulk picks up Loki, the bad guy, and throws him around Stark Tower and says, puny God. Well, lovingly... God was helping David, wanting him to leave that groaning behind and enter into his joy. Because after a time of groaning, David relents and he repents. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. 
See, David didn't just remember his sin. Cain, Saul, Judas, they, they could all do that. No, instead, David humbled himself before the throne of grace and revealed it all to the Lord. With faith, he acknowledged all, hiding nothing away. He confessed all of his rebellious ways. Often those who feel that that deep pain, that groaning, are those who hold on to their guilt. They keep their sin bottled up until their sorrow erupts. And maybe you're feeling like that this morning. Well, don't let that overflow take you to anywhere else than the cross of Christ. Because that is where David leads his people. Verse 6, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time where you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. See, see how God's king invites God's people to follow his way? I've acknowledged my sin. Come and join me. Look at what God has done for me. Why wouldn't you want to get in on this? And so do it. Don't delay. The Lord God is there to be found. And that will not always be the case. There is a day of judgment. A day where it will be too late. Where that rush of great waters of verse 6 will come. They're a callback to the flooding waters of, uh, of judgment in Exodus 14. Where the waters swept away God's enemies as he graciously secured victory for his people. So David pleads with the people, come, come to the Lord who saves, confess your sins. Come and find what David and all of God's people have found to be true. Verse 7. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. See, God's people are called by David to remember that there is only one place of relief. Do you see how verse 7 starts with you? You, Lord God are a hiding place. You, Lord God, you preserve me. You, Lord God, watch over me. Paul has already shown us from Romans, and David also says in Psalm 2, that blessed are all who take refuge in him. In him is Jesus. The solution is Jesus. Don't take refuge from him. No, come to him and in him. And he'll take us. God's everlasting, sinless king is the one who bore transgression and sin upon himself. The one who on the cross took that great waters of judgment upon himself to save his people. And so there is no other haven, there is no other place of safety Those waters of judgment, they cannot reach and they will never reach God's people when they hide themselves in Jesus by faith. So David's testimony is ultimately our prayer together as a church family this morning that we would all call to the Lord offering a prayer now whilst he's there, whilst he can be found. 
Now, maybe that's for the first time. Maybe that's for the millionth time. But do you see that David, God's king, needed to confess? And he invited all of God's people to join him. Today, God's people, the church, they're called to repent by a wonderful king. God's people are to daily turn to Jesus to confess all of our sins. Now, that isn't always easy. It's hard to admit how corrupt we really are. It can be hard to ask the Lord to reveal sin in our lives. Uh, Sin that is keeping us ultimately from experiencing the Lord and his joy. And yet for the believer, we gladly do it. We don't try to hide anything away from him. Because he and he alone is the Lord God who saves. He's patiently and lovingly waiting And so will we accept that invitation to confess our sins? And what we'll find is that there is God's grace to perfectly match our every need. By praying during these days of grace, it means that we do not need to fear that day of judgment. There is blessed joy for those who confess their sins because of Jesus. We have an amazing saviour. And so verse 8 to 11, blessed joy and steadfast love for the righteous. Verse 8, follow along. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. See, David now speaks on the Lord's behalf from the Lord's heavy hand in verse 4 to his loving, careful watch, verse 8. This loving, joyful image of the eternal Lord God with a loving and careful, protective eye on his children. The father who carefully watches that his children don't run behind or in front of the swing, or, or watching as the, they walk along the pavement not to run over the, across the road. Again, these aren't just tips that I've learned. This is literally what the Lord is doing, wanting to instruct his people in the safe and happy way. And so may God grant God's people humility before his word. That he'd open our our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our lives to his instruction and counsel. That we be his children, his people who are listening to his loving voice, delighting in his word, confessing our, our sins daily because we get it wrong, And living by faith in our everlasting King, Jesus. And would we not be a stubborn people? Verse 9, have a look. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not not stay near you. I mean, it's a great image, isn't it? The farmer who is caring for his animals, showing them where they need to go, Providing shelter, supplying a barn, looking after them, protecting his farm. And yet there's one beast of the farm that gives him just an awful time. The mule. As one commentator wrote, he's stupid and he's stubborn and you can't tell which comes first. Stubbornness or stupidity. It's the mule that will not respond to the Lord's instruction and counsel. And so he's without understanding. 
And so the farmer gets in his tractor and he, he goes out into the field. He puts the bit and the bridle between the mule's mouth and he, he drags him off stiff-legged and eoring all the way to the barn. That is not the way that God wants his people to come to him for blessing, for protection, for love. Don't be like the mule. Going a day without God's word, it's mule-like. And yet it's so easy. A day that turns into the week, a week that turns into the month. There are so many different things to juggle in life, and yet it's often his word that we put down first. And so encourage one another. In your small groups as a church family, encourage one another, pray for one another, that daily we would be coming to the Lord's instruction and word. Daily that we'd be trusting Jesus and responding as best we can in faithful obedience and enjoying the steadfast love of the Lord. Verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The psalm, it concludes with this upbeat exhortation that all of God's people are surrounded by unchanging, unfailing, never-ending, never-giving-up steadfast love. Everlasting happiness comes from a loving Lord God. For the believer is righteous. That doesn't mean that Christians are perfect. Please don't expect St. John's or any other church to be perfect. We are not. Leave that perfection to Jesus. Now, righteous here in verse 10 and 11, it means that we're walking in a way that God wants. A people who are trusting him, reliant on his mercy, delighting in his blessing, and enjoying his steadfast love. The thought of what King Jesus has done for us, it should, it should thrill us. And yet, if I'm honest... Joy is not my default setting. The daily grind that gets in the way, the the difficult circumstances, the pressures of work, family tensions, challenges at home, serving at church, they feel like they're robbing me a bit of the joy of my salvation. It's like a huge Dyson vacuum sucking out all of its goodness. And yet we have much to praise the Lord for. Another old Christian saint said this, Christians believe two things about the gospel, that it is both true and wonderful. And so it is hard to feel bitter and ungrateful and being just generally quite soppy when you're at the foot of the cross. Because the cross, the Lord Jesus, is utterly breathtaking. See, behind these words of David, the sinner, we can hear the voice of Jesus the Son of God, the everlasting King, our sinless King, who offers forgiveness and a right relationship with the Lord. The gospel is our good news. And so pray and let thankfulness and joy overflow. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And in Jesus' name, we can say amen.
Let's pray together. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Our Lord and our God, without you we would be lost, sinful. We would be covered in the stain of sin, covered in our own deceit and rebellion against you. And yet, because of Jesus, you have forgiven us by faith. And so, Lord, would you help us to be glad, to rejoice, to shout for joy and upright in hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.